Peace, everyone. Welcome to BaddestChaplain.com. On today's episode, we're speaking to Reverend Crystal Varner Parker. Our Reverend Parker is candidate for the Henrico County School Board. She's a lifelong Richmonder, Presbyterian pastor, wife, and mother. She's a proven advocate and champion for the students, educators, and staff of Henrico County Public Schools. She's an HCPS graduate, married to a graduate, mother of two Henrico County Public School students. So this is really, we're talking a hometown business right here. She's a former financial educator. She co-chaired the elementary redistricting committee back in 2019-2020 uh, uh, school year, co-chaired the equity and diversity advisory committee in the 21-22 school year, and is a regular volunteer working alongside educators, staff, parents, and community members. Very, very excited to be able to talk, uh, not just politics, as some people like to say, but local community business. So, Crystal, welcome to the podcast. So happy to be able to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. So I, I just got to jump right right into it, Crystal. Like, we are in a, a, a sort of cultural moment, the zeitgeist, however you want to couch it, where the school board has exponentially gained attention in recent years, to put it in the mildest way possible, right? So in this time where education is so heavily politicized, it feels like at an all-time high, why are you interested in this? Why do you want to run for the school board now? Um, it's been, I feel like, a long time coming in many ways mm -hmm. that when I was approached in the fall to consider running um, because our, the incumbent was seeking to run for the board of supervisors, I said, all right, let me pause. I need to have some discernment on this. Um, but what it really comes down to is I've been involved in our school system for a long time um, with almost seven years as a financial educator, um, which had me in three high schools every single week mm. overseeing an in-school branch program and at a middle school overseeing an in-school branch program and then teaching at those schools plus a whole host of others. Mm. Um, and in that, I had so many conversations with educators and staff and then I'm the friend to many educators and school staff, not just in Rico, but Chesterfield, City of Richmond, mm -hmm. Powhatan, Buchland. And hearing their concerns and hearing the concerns of parents and feeling like they don't have a voice in the conversation really got to me. Um, mm -hmm. As a minister, I spent a lot of my time listening to people and wanting to make sure that they feel heard. Um, mm -hmm. But then also trying to bring those people together. Um, not everybody sees eye to eye and learning to help bridge that gap for folks and kind of bring people together is something that's really important to me. Um, mm -hmm. As you said, it's a pretty charged time <laughs> to get into school right. politics. Um, but as a mom, I want to ensure that our schools are as good as they can be for my kids. But having been involved in our schools, I want to see this be as good as it can be for everybody's kid. It's not yeah. just about mine. It's about everybody. Um, and something I've learned recently is Henrico County hasn't, hasn't had an Asian American on the school board. Okay. Um, and I'd be the first woman to represent my district as far as I know, and I'd be the first Asian American. And I think All I right. bring a different perspective that mm -hmm. we want to treat Asian Americans as a monolith. They're not. That right. when we're looking at data, we need to look at the data, not just 
by one racial demographic. We need to look at the demographics of a school and the entire situation going on. So things get much more complicated. And as anybody who has worked with me will know, I love a good spreadsheet. So don't just hand me some data and say, here it is. I was like, mm, let's break this down and get, get a little deeper. Um, right. And so I bring a different perspective that this isn't some political stepping stone for me. It's really right. making these schools as good as they can for our, our staff of the schools, our educators, and our kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what was that sort of moment in life where you realized that working in the community at large, I mean, obviously events in life led up to this moment where you're running for the school board. So take us back to that sort of moment on your own journey where you realize, you know what, working in the community is a part of who you are. Oh, goodness. It feels like it's a, it's a long winding path for like the last like 10 years. Um, I took a break from parish ministry about 12 years ago. Um, I can tell you now it had to do with a big case of burnout that I did mm -hmm. not have healthy enough boundaries to protect my time. Um, and so now I'm, I'm the first to tell you rest and Sabbath and building that into your schedule is crucial. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit hard while campaigning, um, but I'm trying. For sure. Uh, for sure. <laughs> I um, can imagine. <laughs> but what I realized is during that 10-year break I had from being in the church, I was working for the Girl Scouts, then I did financial education. That recurrent, that recurring, reoccurring theme was always education and being involved in the community in some way and realizing it's not just where you are in that one space. But there's a lot of interconnection and that we all have to work together. Um, that when I worked for the credit union, I was connected with financial educators across the state. And knowing that, like, I couldn't get this job done by myself. Mm -hmm. I needed their help. But I also got to know financial educators across the country and realizing it's like, hey, there's some things working really well over here. And some things really well over here. And we've got this thing going really well here. Let's see if we can bring these things together. And so mm -hmm. it's just been this constant process of seeing how we all need each other. And there's a lot of theological conversations that could go into that, too. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but it's just it's been so many moments that I can't really just pick that one. But it just, it's just this recurring theme of, I think, being multiracial, that mm -hmm. I help bridge a gap in some ways with that that I'm always trying to bring people together. And right. when folks keep up, you know, there've been multiple folks going, so are you running for school board? I'm going, I've been thinking about it. They're like, well, you're running, right? Going, oh. And then it turned into, well, yes, I am. And I was like, okay, good. Right, right. And, and to me, it kind of even goes back to like the call process of being a, a minister. Like in the Presbyterian church, you don't get to just go, I'm going to be a pastor. And they're like, mm, do we all sense this call in your life? And so there's right. been a lot of affirmation. And so right. there's those moments of going, am I the right person for this? And when there's that recurring affirmation, I'm going, okay, I guess I'm on the right path. I guess this is what mm -hmm. God wants me to do. And it really is a beautiful moment um, or moments along the journey where you have this idea where, you know, maybe it's uh, activating your own sense of imposter syndrome, or maybe there's a resistance to it, but to see this, you know, idea that you may want to almost like hide and just like keep away from people, be affirmed by someone externally. It, it really is a beautiful moment and something that, you know, catapults probably otherwise a lot of unlikely leaders <laughs> into leadership, but, it, but it's a good thing to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I'm glad for the people who've said, Crystal, keep going. Crystal, right. keep going. Right. Because there have been plenty of months of going, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never run for office before. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned a lot. Sure, sure. I, I, I can <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. And I think part part of what uh as you look at your your, your platform and your website, something that really jumped out to me was you, you articulate and, and and it was something that made me feel good about what you're doing. Um this sense of being a listening presence as a priority of yours. That it was really important, not so much to say like here's what we're going to do, but initially um, you know, listening to constituents, listening to the folks who are invested in the community. And, and there's no doubt that listening and feeling like you're listened to can sometimes exist in different realities, right? Like there's times we can be very much attended to someone, but that doesn't necessarily translate to that person feeling like they're being attended to. So how mm-hmm. do you plan to convey this sense of I am listening, particularly to constituents whose views you disagree, who are sort of anticipating your sort of closed ears, so to speak? Oh, this is a good one. Um, And I've had some moments with that recently. I mean, out canvassing throughout the week, you know, I knock on a door and I get these questions. And there are some moments where I'm going, "Uh uh-oh, I don't think we're going to see eye to eye here. Mm -hmm. And asking them to tell me more about that question. Um, You know, I had someone today just ask about my views on state policies you know, in these right. mandates coming down and where do I right. stand on it? And I said, right. you know, and as a school board member, there's certain things where regardless of how I feel, it doesn't really matter. I, I have a job mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. said, but I turned the question before I even answered, I said, I'd love to hear more about where this question comes from. And more times than not, there's more to that question than just a, here's where I stand. Mm-hmm. and. I don't have to see eye to eye with someone to want to understand. Um, Mm. I've known so many people that are good at listening to both sides. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I value and what I've learned from them. Uh, It's easy to put yourself in an echo chamber and only listen to the voices that agree with you. But I don't think I would have grown as a person and who I am as a pastor if I hadn't listened Mm -hmm. to people who pushed me and challenged me. Um, the right, depth right. and breadth of my love only continues to grow when I really try to listen to people. To say yeah. how I get them to understand, I think it's just going to sing me in action that there's mm-hmm. going to be things where we're not going to agree. And I'm going to push something, you know, sometimes it's because I have to. I'm going to have to move something forward. Um, but there's going to be those other moments of putting things into action of, that has been important to them. You know, I can't Mm -hmm. fix everything. I can't change everything somebody tells me is important to them. But I'm going to do my best to do so. Um, I think some of it is just having regular listening sessions. Um, I started last year a just a weekly coffee with members of my church. And we just Mm -hmm. meet at a local coffee shop and we just talk. Sometimes we talk about faith. Sometimes we're just talking about life. And sometimes we're just talking about how good this pastry is that we both shared. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. Um, (laughs) But just having that time to talk and listen is so important. And I, to me, it's, it's making time for that. You know, there's going to be somewhere it's like, Hey, you know, we're going to meet in the morning, this particular quarter, we're going to meet in the afternoon, this one, there's going to be some evenings and kind of rotating stuff around to hit different schedule needs. 
because to think everybody can stop what they're doing on a Friday morning and come have coffee with me when they've got a job or a schedule that doesn't allow that, that doesn't work. So it's just, right. it's going to take some creativity, um, a lot of learning, and I'm up for a challenge. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. That's what you always want to hear is uh, is your candidate um, say, you know, this is going to be tough, but I'm up for it. You know, not just like reluctant. Now isn't the time for reluctance. So I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I taught uh, for 11 years. Um, and so I, I can say without question um, that teaching is both tremendously rewarding and taxing. Right. Like, and I, I, I even go so far to sort of quote the, the brother who directed my um, a master's education program up at St. John's who, who, who reminded me that teaching is a sacred profession. So with this in mind, with, with, with the kids in mind, with the community in mind, what does less demands, more empowerment of educator gifts for teaching look like to you? Like, how do you contextualize that for your vision? For me, it's going to be a lot of talking to the teachers and hearing from them what types of demands are being put on them that don't have to be. There are things that you have to do because they are mandated by the state or perhaps the federal government or perhaps the mm -hmm. county. Mm -hmm. But as a school board, we can make changes to those county policies that are putting unnecessary demands on them. It's going to take keeping in mind, our kids are our number one priority. Are we meeting their needs? But are we asking something of a teacher that just feels to be too much? Um, my kids are at a school where they have a lot of enthusiasm. They have this Cal system. I mean, it's phenomenal. Like I mm -hmm. never want my kids to leave, but I, I recognize at some point they have to go off to middle school and high school. And so right, right. that's fine. how it goes. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> they will grow. Um, but even the level of enthusiasm it takes to implement this program at this school isn't for every teacher mm -hmm. and recognizing like, Hey, what's working for you? What's not working? And just kind of hearing those things because every school has its own culture, its own right. kind of feel. And so it's not going to be a one size fits all, but it's kind of figuring it out. Um, some of it is just having more opportunities to hear from the teachers. Um, mm -hmm. I've learned that the superintendent, she has a committee of teachers that she regularly meets with to hear from and get their feedback, but not every teacher knows this exists. Right. And so they're left feeling really unheard. Um, and so it's just working on that to make sure teachers are more heard and then figuring out ways we can make adjustments. And there's going to be some things of saying, thank you for that feedback and working to change it, but knowing it's not going to be an overnight fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. And, and, you know, and it makes me think, particularly with Henrico, um, you know, being such a diverse place, um, and, 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 you know, not just terms of like race and ethnicity, but also thinking like socioeconomically and, and frankly, in terms of resources, like how do you sort of demonstrate one, but also communicate this need for a sense of everyone needs to be listened to. I think that's going to be a significant challenge as well. Yeah. I mean, some of it, it's going to be going out to the different school events and connecting with the individual schools. It's not just showing up where my kids are in school. While right. that would be convenient and easy, that's not the job. 
Right. I also can't be at every event, but definitely showing up and even getting some messages out through the schools of saying, hey, I'm here for you. I am your school board member. I'm here to support you. And please mm-hmm. reach out. That, um, you know, making sure that they know that the, the, com- the communication can come, that I'm not right. ignoring them. Um, it, it's going to take a lot of creativity. Um, but if I've learned anything, it's being there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard now as just a community member to say, hey, Glenn Lee, I'd love to come in and volunteer. Not every school want, wants you to do that. And so I try to be respectful right. of that. But as a school board member, it's a whole lot easier to say, hey, if you'd like me to volunteer, I'd love to. And letting them know, know and doing that. Um, throughout the last school year, because things have kind of rebounded since COVID times. Um, For sure. For I was sure. able to volunteer almost once a month at my kids' school. And it All gave right. me a really different lens into what was going on and to knowing what types of needs they were. That I started to learn, they're going, hey, when they're having this type of event, this is a hard day. They need help. And so I would look at the schedule. And if it aligned with my schedule, I would make sure to pick those days to volunteer because I knew I could do and help on that day. I was strategic in when I picked to volunteer because I wanted to make sure I was being the most helpful when I could. That's it. That's it. And I think that's what it takes when you're on the school board is paying attention and learning and being here when they need you, not just when it feels good for you. Right. So, I mean, truly being a leader who serves, it sounds like is a, a, an a important aspect for you. It is. I mean, perhaps it's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> but to it me, would be a good leadership. part of the job description. Right. <laughs> just say it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, it's who I am that yeah, yeah, yeah. for good or for not, that there are days where even my husband's like, come on, Crystal, you got to mm-hmm. find some balance in there. And so th- there is, you know, learning to find, you know, to find that balance too. But if I could pick this Friday versus that Friday, and this Friday is going to be more impactful and my schedule allows it, let me be there. Mm-hmm. You know, there are calendar limitations some, day, some days, but. Undoubtedly. You know, we do what we can. But really doing what I can. So so talk to me as if, you know, we haven't articulated enough challenges already. How, how are you endeavoring to articulate this, this culture of belonging and cultivate this culture of belonging and, and, and service at a time when grief and fear and ignorance and hatred are such dominant voices in the public square and specifically dominant voices within the, 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 the square of education currently? Oh, I, I think it's building relationships, getting to know those kids um, so that they can see that there are people who care, that they don't necessarily have to look like them, think like them, act like them, but there are people who care. Um, I can remember a few years ago, someone asking if you ever had a teacher that looked like you. Mm-hmm. And I had to pause. And I went, no, I never had a mixed race Asian American teacher ever. Right, right. I did have a Japanese American teacher in high school for my Japanese class, but it was over the TV. So I never interacted with her in person. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I had an Asian, one Asian American teacher in college for my Chinese class. Mm-hmm. But that was it. Right. And just thinking about how unseen I felt growing up. Uh huh. And how many kids may be having that experience. Yeah. And when you're not able to interact with people that perhaps look a little bit more like you, how much that has an effect. And so Mm -hmm. creating opportunities. um, I know my kids' schools, I'm the only one that does it, but having an international night where the community can come out and can learn and can celebrate the things that make us each uniquely us. Right, right. I think is so important, so important. Um, I think it's just having opportunities for conversation. of just learning these different things that make each of us who we are. Um, My kids came home one day talking about one of their friends who was fasting for Ramadan for the first time. And so we were able to talk about that and just how difficult that would be and how they can be encouraging to their friends and just being able to dig deeper and learn that there's power in books, deep power in books. Um, and so I know so many librarians that are trying to make sure there's a wide variety that speak to different kids. And so empowering our librarians to do that is a great way of creating belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think just having some stuff in the, the, that affects the whole, not just an individual school, but even countywide opportunities to get together and, you know, maybe one school can't put on an international night, but perhaps a few together could do something really cool right they can make it happen together yeah fostering connection fostering connection i I love the way that you connect that sort of lived experience to books because something i i often think about is particularly when folks who are you know in the majority in their social location right they're they're white maybe um they're resourced whatever the, the situation is where they would look at someone who is designed as or designated rather as the other in that in that uh context and just kind of want to like quote unquote pick their brain and there's so much frustration that can boil up and say and make you want to say to someone like hey google is free you know what i mean like you can learn about this on your own you just got they've got documentaries about these questions right And, and just thinking about the way in which you can couple lived experiences you know uh, uh, attending a, a, a Eid um, dinner with 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 a uh, a, a friend, um, just learning about uh, people's specific cultures, like learning about the the language and the history and the context um, through experience, but also supplementing that with doing your own work um, in terms of like reading the text and, and actually um, engaging in, in literature that isn't that doesn't center your culture. You know what I mean? And just thinking mm-hmm. about the ways in which we have that opportunity to 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 do that through literature. So if you will, I, I say all that to say, I want you to imagine that you're having some sort of like dinner. They're hosting a dinner and you can invite four guests. They can be like dead, living, fictional, real people. But for our listeners sake, in terms of getting to know you, who are four people you would invite to dinner that someone could walk by that table and say, ah, 
this these are these are Crystal's inspirations. These are people that Crystal respect. These are people who Crystal has learned so much from. Like who who are your four dinner guests? Mm. Oh goodness, this is a a big question. I think the first one I would have to pick is my great grandmother right. from Japan. Yes, she I did not learn until college was actually a Christian. Okay, but I never had the privilege of meeting her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to be able to pick her brain to have been Japanese and a Christian in the early right. 1900s was right, revolutionary. Right. Certainly. Uh, so I'd love to have her there. Um, just because of who they are and how much they conquered, I feel like I'd have to bring back Katie Geneva Cannon. All right. I mean, she was such a trailblazer and just such, such a voice. Yeah, yeah. And if I ever had one great regret in seminary, it's that I did not have a class with her. Got you, got you. I, t- I, t- I signed up for one and I showed up late for class and I was too intimidated to come back. Oh, <laughs> that was it. That was it. So that was it. I was like, oh no. I, I felt so bad that I mixed up the start time and showed up yeah, late yeah. that I was like, I just, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do You're it. Like, I'm out of here. And so I'm out. <laughs> and I regret it so deeply because I Got know you. how much I would have learned from her. And I've loved oh, no reading her it. stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So she would have to be number two. Um, and I don't. I like to challenge myself and hear views that are different and to say, I just want to understand where you're coming from. No doubt. So I think I may have to pick our former president because we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things with Mr. Trump. So I think to sit down and share a meal and to really hear his perspectives, I think would be helpful. Um, because sometimes and to be able to say some of the things you've said have been really hurtful. It has caused my mom to experience attacks in the grocery store because of Asian hate. Mm-hmm. To have her car keyed because our words have power. And that when you're in places of influence and power, choose your words mm-hmm. because they matter. And so I think to be able to sit down with him and understand, or at least hear some of his perspective of what's put him talking the way he does. Um, Gosh, my fourth person. I think I'd have to include my husband. Okay. One, just because he is a great chef. The meal will be phenomenal because he is included. But he is so good with people and is able to ask questions of them out of such curiosity that it would just be so fascinating yeah, to see yeah, yeah. even his own interactions with these folks. Right. Um, that I, just, I think it would, it, it would be great because he's someone who he balances me mm-hmm. that in the moments where perhaps learning and hearing things that might be difficult to hear, he, he would keep me balanced and feel safe. 
Get you. Get you. Get you. That's it. I'll, I'll tell you, this is the first time I, I asked this question as a standard question. This is the first time uh, Donald Trump has been invited to one of these dinners. But I hear what you're trying to do. <laughs> I hear what you're trying to do. And I was like, I was like, man, you. I was like, Crystal's a very good Christian. Like, like trying to really, you know, love your enemy. But that, I think that's beautiful. I think that's, I, I hear what you're trying to do. I mean, it was one of those of going, I feel like it'd be easy to have my great-grandmother there. Easy. That was I easy. I feel right. like, easy. I feel like it would be easy to have Katie Cannon there. No question. And I'm, no question. But I don't, I husband think we need challenges. Husband would be great there too. Oh yeah. Too. I mean, that's a, that's a given. I feel like that's a given. That's a given. Husband's that's a given. great. No. Husband's great. Right, right. But Donald Trump, like that would be hard. And... I'm up for a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't have to agree with you to want to be in conversation with you. Yeah, yeah. And I and think, we've lost that. And I think we've lost that. I mean, one of my favorite books I read a few years ago, it's written by the Pantsuit Politics podcast folks. Yeah, yeah. Of, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. Right. I can wildly disagree with you, but I'm committed to listening. Because no I've had conversations when we were in seminary with people that I did not agree with them. Right. But you give me five years, give me 10 years, and some of those conversations, I've come around. And I'm like, I agree now. Yeah, yeah. I did not agree with you, but I do now. It took me yeah. time, and it took relationships, and it took listening for me to change my perspective. That's it. And, can, and Krista, can I add one more ingredient that I think it took? is everyone operating in good faith. You know what I mean? Like yes. everyone has yes. to be willing to say like, I'm actually trying to learn from you. If I'm doing this, like I'm here to like, look like I'm trying to learn from you, but I'm really not. I I've made up my mind before I got out the car and it's not going to work. Yes. 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 What you on that? What you on that? So what would you say is your hope for Henrico County, particularly with the public schools? in this moment like like as you look and as you're campaigning and as you're, you're meeting your neighbors and, and, and talking to your neighbors what what is the hope that you have i think henrico county is already a great place mm -hmm. it has been i moved here in the sixth grade and except for needing to live on campus during seminary to be closer to the library facts facts i came back <laughs> I came yeah, back. Yeah. Like Henrico County is my home. Got you. And I think the thing that we need is keeping these gifted educators that we have because it's been every year for the last several years. I've heard so many gifted educators and school staff saying, I'm out. I can't yeah. do it anymore. And my goodness. It brings me to tears on a regular basis and it breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. And it has to stop. And a lot of it has to do with we're not listening to each other. Parents aren't listening to teachers. Teachers don't feel like they're being listened to by the parents, you know, that the parents don't feel like the teachers are listening to them. There's all this. And if we can remember that we're all in this for the kids. Because right. if we have happy teachers that want to stay, 
then they have students who are happy and want to stay in schools that mm -hmm. we have, you know, many students graduating and finishing, but we still have students that drop out. And so right, right. I want to fix that. And you can fix that by having teachers that these kids have relationships with, that it is another voice that says, I love you, you matter, you can do this, and they finish it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to see. I want to see we get see us get to a point where we don't have students dropping out. I know that is a rose-colored glass, a pie-in-the-sky, huge, huge wish. Right, right. But I believe in a God of hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. So right. I'm in it to see these kids win it. And it might start with tiny victories that turn into big victories. But when the teachers win, our students win, and our whole school system wins. And that's what I want to see happen. Right. Here for that. Here for that. So, so Crystal, how can our listeners support your campaign? Where should they go? What can they do? How can they learn more about what, what you're, you're doing, your vision for Henrico County Public Schools, all of that good stuff? They can come to my website, cvpforschools.com. They can click on the page to get involved. They can click on the button to donate. Um, I had no expensive, no idea how expensive a school board campaign would be. Come on, Particularly right. <laughs> when there are four other people running. Yeah. Um, but I'm the only mom in the race. Okay. I am the only Asian American in the race across all five districts. Wow. But okay. I want to make sure that all of our diverse voices are heard. And I want to yeah. make sure that our Asian American students in our school system have their voices heard too. Yeah. Um, and so going to my website, getting involved, I've got thousands of doors to knock. And I have lots of literature I need to hand them. But I can't hand the literature without the funds to purchase the information and getting it into their hands. Um, yeah, so just help true. knocking doors, meeting folks, spreading the word, and donating to the campaign is a huge thing right now. Yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly. Yeah, you know, you know something that, that you said made, made me think about this. Like, I, I wonder, especially because you have moments in, in the news where, like, you know, um, the overturning of affirmative action, um, you have, like, the Stop Asian Hate Movement where we saw, you know, like, videotaped uh, – episodes of crime where like elders grandparents were being attacked in the street and i and i, I remember when i was teaching at a, at a boarding school that had a, a significant asian not just um asian american but also um international student population teaching my students so much about the historic solidarity between the black community and the asian community and, and so something that as you're speaking crystal that, that that came to my heart and the hope that i have is that you know you um, and the other members of the school board can sort of rekindle that which was lost, uh, particularly between uh, the Black and Asian community of having a solidarity, thinking about examples like Yuri Kochiyama, uh, who was best friends with Malcolm X um, and, and like tried to resuscitate him as he was assassinated, and, and thinking about um, the ways in which your campaign and, and, and those who are also running for the school board can rekindle that which was lost. Because I think that's needed now more than ever. Um, and obviously, like, including white folks who, who are operating in good faith into that work is important. But just really thinking yeah. about that particular historic solidarity that feels so fractured in this moment, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to stop forward progress when we all get into our silos and think that we're doing the work alone. Right. But we are so much better when we are working together for the good of our community. Frequently, people say, well, I don't have kids in schools. Why should I vote? And I'm like, but an educated community affects all of us. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Like it's, it's critical. So we all go to school. <laughs> like, we all have to go to school. Our student success matters. Um, Absolutely. And we've had some great folks serving on our school board. There's some great folks running. Um, but I hope for people who live in Fairfield that they're going to vote for Crystal Barner Parker come November 7th or if they early vote. Um, and to get involved in their community because their schools need them. Absolutely. Far more than they ever realized. That's the truth. That's the truth. Well, y'all heard it here. Um, I want to thank uh, Crystal Varner Parker um, for being our, our guest today. Um, as always, you can listen to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I don't know if y'all know this. We got a Substack page going on. So baddestchaplain.substack.com. My favorite destination on the internet currently. Uh, and so I just commend it to you. Check it out. And you can hear um, the interview we had with Crystal and other wonderful uh, interviews, essays, all kinds of musings. It's, it's basically become my new Twitter. I, I posted my last tweet today. I used the Jake Gyllenhaal meme where he's like waving and blows a kiss. I feel like that's the perfect one. Hopefully, if the Library of Congress is still attached to Twitter or X or whatever that man is calling it, you know. The decades, the generations after we'll see, like, oh, that, that man, uh, he used the Jake Gyllenhaal. They used to call it a meme, you know, something like that. I feel like I contributed to the history today. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm just commending everyone to now follow my Substack because hopefully that will be a part of history. But um, much love to y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. And, and just, you know, do as much good as you can in this world because we certainly need it. All right. Take care. Amen. Thanks, Chris.